0: Open up to Acts chapter 6, it is in the New Testament, it's the last portion of your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, and uh, you know, every week we kind of give you an update, it's kind of when you watch a a TV show and they have that, you know, previously on whatever it is, and and so that's kind of the, the update, I know you hear these updates and think, well, why did the sermon last week take 30 minutes when you can do it in 45 seconds? Um... Anyway, though, we saw last week the apostles were arrested for preaching the gospel, uh, which, like again, like a lot of TV shows, we keep seeing this over and over again. It's the same storyline, right? Um, and they're told, stop preaching. They've been told to stop preaching before, and this time they respond with, we must obey God rather than men. Um, and they do that, and they're willing to take the consequences that comes from that. Uh, the consequences that the, the council or someone in, uh, for the council physically beats them uh, and then they set free and they're like, "Woohoo!" Uh, excited to go out and preach the gospel again. Uh, so last week we saw this, what was an external threat, something from the outside of the church that is a threat to the gospel being preached. Uh, this week in these first seven verses of Acts uh, chapter 6, we're going to see an internal threat. Uh, one that comes from the inside and threatens to stop the preaching of the word. Uh, so uh, we're going to walk through these first seven verses together. Uh, we're going to read the whole thing. Uh, All seven verses, uh, which next week I'll make up for, there's like 60 verses, I don't know how we're going to do that yet. Uh, But anyway, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, follow along as I read. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summons the full number of the disciples and said, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. God, open our ears to hear your word today to seek, to learn what you have to teach us about you, about ourselves, about your church. May we bring glory to you by serving in ways that show no partiality. Uh, Again, Lord, help us this morning to focus and to listen and to hear from you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So let me start with this. In the New Testament, uh, there are two distinct church offices. There are elders and there are deacons. Uh, elders oversee the teaching, shepherding, and spiritual care, care of the congregation. Um, and since Manhattan Press, where we're at right now, we are currently what is called a mission church or a church plant. Uh, and that means that our elders consist of, of men who are elders in other congregations around Kansas. Uh, in fact, uh, at this point, we have only two local elders, and that's Travis Shanahan and, my, and myself. Uh, at some point, uh, we hope to move <clears throat> out of mission church status and for that to happen, it means we have to have three local elders. <clears throat> so please be in prayer as we're, we're figuring out what that looks like. Now, <clears throat> I mentioned that just to explain that the other church office is that of deacon. Uh, deacon are not uh, talked about as often, but de- deacons serve. Uh, they serve the congregation's physical needs. They oversee the mercy needs in the congregation and as the congregation ministers to the, the uh, community around them. Uh, and they encourage the congregation towards love and, and good deeds uh, to others in need. And I, I mention those two offices here because the wide-angle way that we look at this text is is asking this question of whether this is speaking about the office of deacon or not. <clears throat> because it certainly looks like it. And to be honest, I want this to be uh, about... Properly about deacons. I I want this really to be the the text where we're seeing the establishment of the office, like like the superhero hero origin story. You know, this is where the deacon gets bit by the radioactive spider, and bam, you have this office of deacon. Uh, And and in fact, my my general thought coming into this text, uh, you know, a week ago this time, uh, I really thought this was the office of deacon before I'd studied it a little further. Uh, In fact, the sermon graphic that uh, sends out in the email titled the sermon deacons, right, real big, right there. Uh, that's the problem with titling those things too early. Uh, later in the, in the week, I retitled it uh, using a little alliteration, which is also alliteration, uh, <clears throat> to Seven Servants. I think that's alliteration. There's no English majors here today, right? Good. So, <clears throat> while this text certainly influences what becomes the office of deacon, there's no denying that. Uh, this text is simply not the origin story of the office of deacon. Uh, you see, these men were given to a particular task, a way to serve, uh, that was called on at that point. They were not given an actual office to fill. And so now, uh, understand that doesn't make this any less important for us as a church as we look at this and learn from this. Uh, we learn from this text really how the early church dealt with, with an internal threat to the ministry of the word. Uh, that's the issue being dealt with here. And remember that absolutely every threat up to this point has been from opponents outside the church. This is the first time the threats come from the inside. Uh, an internal one threatening the unity of the church. And, and, and that's a tougher challenge. Starting from this point in Acts and going throughout the rest of church history, <clears throat> every era has faced some internal challenge to their unity. Uh, so let's look at the text. That's a long introduction to it. But verse 1, we see that the congregation is growing. Uh, that's good. That means people are believing the gospel. There wasn't, uh, no church at this point is growing because people were changing churches and just walking across the street. Uh, It means that the gospel was uh, was happening and people were believing it. And and, and so as wonderful that is, it brings this new challenge to them. Uh, It's a result of the growth even. You see, in in the world that we live in, all of us understand this, everyone desires that goods and, and services be distributed evenly. Uh, No one really wants that to happen unfairly. Uh, I think if we're honest, though, we're we're okay with it being unfair as long as we're in the the getting more portion of the the unfairness. Uh, For instance, if I split a cookie and i were to break it and there's a big half and there's a little half um, and I give it to my two children, I I promise you only the one who gets the small piece is going to complain in that moment. Uh, That's kind of human nature in that regard. Uh, But really, when we feel that we are getting less than a fair treatment, uh, suddenly we have this this keen understanding of injustice in the world. Uh, we know that. We see it. We, we feel it. <clears throat> and uh, You know, as I've told you before, I was the youngest of three boys growing up. I tell you that uh, more many times actually. I guess better or worse, it's, it's part of my identity. It's messed me up the way I am. Um, so anyway, every, every Christmas growing up and during my childhood, my grandparents would give us a card and uh, to each child. And there was money in it. And I, I can remember that I would open that card as a young boy and, and see this crisp $20 bill. And I would just be excited, imagining what toy I could buy. I always imagined it buy more than I thought. But, you know, I'm going to get Voltron or Nintendo or something like that. <clears throat> and, and then across the room would be my brothers and they would open their card. And, and I'd hear them, you know, exclaim, you know, excitedly, I can't believe she gave us $100. And at that moment, my joy would turn to anger. All I get is a mere $20. And what's the next phrase that always comes up? That's not fair. My brothers were jerks because on further investigation, they didn't get $100. <laughs> they were just being crafty punks trying to ruffle my feathers. And it worked. And it just caused that discontent in that moment. And, and, and forever, you know, what I did was that, was do it to other people. Um, but you know they received that twenty dollars just like me, and I find it just just absolutely intriguing how quickly we can detect when someone has mistreated us or treated us unfairly. Um, I'll give you one more example. When I was a, <clears throat> a counselor in a, at a camp, uh, a summer camp, I think I got like thirty eight cents an hour or something like that. Uh, this is in Marble Falls, Texas, and I had this uh, it was really great uh, autistic boy was was in my cabin, and I remember them telling me, you know, he's you're gonna to have to watch him a little closer. And he was just an amazing boy, truly amazing. One of, those, one of those situations where you're like, oh, this is tough, but it absolutely changed my life for the better just to spend these two weeks with him. Um, one of the funnier moments that happened on that, that has always stuck with me though, came on, on just the third day of camp. Uh, he was a fifth grader and that meant that our campers had to go from one activity back to the cabin and get dressed in their bathing suits and then get to their next activity without any of the, the counselors being there. Uh, I assume the transition went well, I was out teaching canoe or something like that. Uh, but that evening, the office staff pulled me aside and they said, hey, uh, Paul came up here after the after first period today. <clears throat> I'm like, why, why, did, why? Uh, I said, he came in angry. He said, I need to call my mom. Uh, and then the sweet woman asked him, Paul, why do you need to call your mom? Uh, and still angry, just angry as can be. He said, because she screwed me over. I know, language. Um, and, and she tells me, like, just fighting back the laughter, she asks him, well, what, what, what did she do? Why do you think that? Uh, and he said, she didn't pack me a single bathing suit. Uh, and this is when I said, you know, in defense, that's, that's not true, he has three bathing suits, they're all outside the door drying. Uh, and, she's, and, and you know, he just, he just forgot. Poor guy simply forgot that he uh, had bathing suits, and so he goes in the office ready to declare that his mom was the cause for this great injustice in the world. Uh, He never called his mom. They helped him find his suits. He put it on. But that situation has has really just become a part of Laura and I's vocabulary uh, ever since. Uh, Anytime one of us feels we've been treated unfairly, we we walk into the house and I say, I need to call my mom. And she just knows something unfair has happened. Um, It's a very satisfying phrase. I I recommend it to you if you need it. Um, And so in our our text, though, we're seeing that unfairness come to light. There's You see, these these men, the Hellenist men, feel this responsibility for these widows. They want them to be cared for, and they feel that the widows are being treated unfairly. And so they go to the apostles, and they say, I need to call my mom, essentially. Uh, Really, though, what they're doing is is complaining. Uh, That's what the text tells us, and we don't usually see the word complaining and think anything positive comes out of it. Only uh, here it appears that the the complaints are accurate. Uh, Nobody gives any defense for it. Uh, the word translated here is uh, complaining. Here is the, the same Greek word in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, uh, the Greek Old Testament that is used to describe the Israelites in the, in the wilderness. You remember they were grumbling, is the way it puts it, uh, against Moses, against God in the wilderness. And at the most basic level, then, uh, this is the statement that's saying, you know, uh, things are not the way I believe they should be. They are unfair. And uh, so, with all the talk about. About unity, you know, we've been talking about unity in the early church. We've been seeing it everywhere uh, in these early days. And, and, and so, you know, we see this great unity as Christ has ascended, and it's one of the things we, we really value in the early church. Uh, and yet we see this faction within the covenant community. Uh, they found a way to divide themselves, you see, because uh, it arises from this desire to care for widows, which is good, but it creates a faction, fraction. Uh, you see, part of it is there are no social no state-run services for widows at this point. Uh, After their their husbands had passed away, there was no way for them to be provided for. Uh, And so if they were to be provided for, this was gonna be from family or or from the church. Uh, Essentially, they are 100% dependent on the kindness of others. And and this is coming over from from Judaism. It's something that that comes into Christianity from Judaism. Uh, And this care had a name for it. They called it the Daily Distribution. Uh, the widows would show up, uh, and then they were given food and possibly money or, or or other things that they might need, and essentially what we're seeing here is they were considered needy and so charity was shown to them. It was rendered to them. Uh, in 1 Timothy 5, you, we learn a little bit more about how this widow system worked. Uh, there were actually some regulations. It wasn't everyone who was a widow got on this list. Uh, in order to receive these provisions, they asked that they be over 60 years of age. They don't explain why. Uh, uh, it seems, or other people have explained it as, that still young enough to get remarried. Uh, and so they're asking you to find some other way to, to be provided for. Also, they must not have relatives who can provide for them. Meaning, if your family can provide for you, let them do that. Now, what the early church is facing is there is a large number of, of widows. Um, they're in Jerusalem, and it would be very high because many of those who need assistance living in outside towns move to the big city because that's where they expect to find it. Um, there's more available there. And so we, we mention these two groups, these two factions uh, of, of widows. There's the Hellenists. Uh, these are Jews who spoke mostly Greek. Uh, they likely lived outside of Jerusalem in some other area at some point, uh, but they found themselves here. And the other group, the Hebrews, were also Jews, uh, tr- you know, converted to Christianity who spoke, what do you think, Hebrew, yeah. Um, so the apostles themselves were Hebrews. You can see why they think this was coming from an unfair uh, idea. Somehow our people are not being treated. You're treating your people better. Uh, both groups, keep this in mind, both groups had in common that their faith uh, was in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin. But there was still this language barrier. There was this cultural barrier. Uh, and that may have caused some distrust. You don't have to think too far to, to have seen that in our life. Uh, It's safe to say, though, that the Greek widows were indeed being neglected. Uh, Like I mentioned before, there's no objection to it. There's no defense uh, at all, no reason given for why they were being neglected, uh, which leaves it open. We don't know why. It it may have been some sort of racism. It may have been driven by some personal conflict that was driving it. It may have been uh, just that the Hellenists slept in too long. Their alarm didn't go off, and and they missed it, and, and something as simple as that. Uh, What we can be fairly certain of, though, is is that the whole situation would have been an absolute organizational nightmare. Um, It is not an easy task for them to have done this. So here's how they handle it. We're going to look and see what the apostles do. First, they gather everyone together, Uh, they acknowledge the problem. Uh, That tells us that as leaders, they were not so proud that they denied that there was a problem, uh, which can, you know, pride comes in, and that's often an issue. Uh, And just so you know, they walked into what is one of the biggest fears of every pastor on the planet. This idea that someone is going to feel neglected, uh, or someone is going to feel like you are showing favoritism to that person and not to you. Uh, Even when I was preparing the pastoral prayer this week, uh, you know, I'm going through that and I go to Laura, Laura, is anyone else pregnant? Then I'm forgetting besides these two. Uh, And the reason is, I don't want to miss anyone. I mean, I want to be able to pray for them, but I, but I also don't want them to feel neglected because you prayed for these two, and I'm pregnant, and you didn't pray for me. And, uh, and, and that's a real fear, and you wouldn't believe how many other areas in ministry that that comes up that you're thinking, I just don't want to leave anyone out. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the time, that means you just don't do anything because you're so afraid of leaving somebody out. Um, you know, it makes us afraid that, that it might lead to that. And, and to be honest, I'm sure we have failed many times. On the other side, is that to be to be gracious when that happens? Uh, so <clears throat> anyway, they acknowledge it, and, and that's amazing because they don't let pride have a seat at the table. Uh, that's not their concern; it's finding a solution. That's their concern. They don't they don't hide under some false image that the church is perfect and we do everything wonderful, and you know they just pretend that's not happening. We all love each other. Uh, <clears throat> they're new to this though. They're a lot like, like us, uh, here doing this, this church plant. They, they don't have it all figured out yet. They're in process and trying things and, and figuring it out. And by not going uh, on the offensive, really they're, they're able to start working for a solution right away. Uh, let's not even worry about whether we did it wrong or whatnot. Let's, let's just find a solution. The first thing they say is, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Uh, that kind of sounds like an arrogant statement. Uh, at least I read it that way at first. Uh, but their point, their point's a logical point. Uh, the apostles only have so much time each day. Uh, the more time that they spend making sure these distributions were done fairly, done well, the less time they had to prepare, to preach, to teach, to minister the Word of God, and you know, many other ways. Uh, notice what they don't say here they don't say that serving is unimportant. They didn't say that serving widows was below them or that you know we're just too important to do little things like that. Uh, It's just that the time it took to do the distribution well would take away from their primary responsibility that God has called them to. It's as simple as that. Verse three then begins with the word therefore. Uh, We know that a solution is coming is what's coming right after that word and the solution is delegation. Um, We tend to hate the word delegation. Uh, you know, it's a, a better way to look at this might be <clears throat> that the solution was to trust others to serve, to lead, for the bettering of the whole community. That, that's that's what delegation in this sense is. And they asked the people, select seven men. They don't tell us why seven. Uh, maybe seven apostles were doing this beforehand. and They were like, let's replace all seven of them. Uh, maybe someone did the math and was like, for this many of the widows, we're going to need this many, you know, some kind of awesome formula Figure this out. I don't know. Uh, Regardless, they do select seven men, and it wasn't just at random. Uh, They asked that they didn't just say, all right, first seven people to raise your hand, you're in charge. Uh, They saw mercy ministry as as an important ministry and one that needed to be led in a way that illustrates the mercy of Christ for his people. And so this is going to be an important uh, ministry that they're doing. Uh, And so they're told to choose men who fit a certain criteria. Three things, right? First, someone of good repute. Reputus just means they have a good reputation. People trust them. They're not going to think they're being ripped off. Um, Someone who has already shown themselves as as trustworthy. Second thing they mention is they must be full of the Spirit. That's someone who is truly living by the Spirit, not by flesh. Uh, And finally, someone who is full of wisdom. Uh, That's from the Greek word Sophia, which is just a general uh, practical idea of wisdom. Someone who is going to do this wisely. Uh, And so the question is, what do these seven men do? It's not glamorous. It's not the kind of thing they're going to write home about. They distribute food and whatever other needs these widows do. Uh, This is not a, hey, you know, these are the the leaders and therefore important. They're just doing a simple task. Uh, They're overseeing this task in one specific area. And here's the deal. It might seem like a small thing on one side, but it gives the apostles time to devote themselves to two important things. You saw it there. They have time for prayer to God. Um, they're called to that, to care for those. Uh, pray for the people they're called to care for, to pray for those they're wishing to see, believe the gospel, to pray for their community, and a number of other things. Uh, and the second thing is it affords them <clears throat> time for the ministry of the word. That I means time to study God's word. Uh, in our denomination, we actually distinguish two two types of elders. And so the two main offices are elder and deacon. And under elder, you have teaching elders and ruling elders. Uh, I'm a a teaching elder uh, and and called so because uh, we do most of the teaching, most of the preaching. We've been to seminary for training, uh, ordained for that role. And and really, since it's a vocational thing, we have more time during the week to spend in study and preparation of sermons and such. Uh, The other is a ruling elder. Ruling elders have absolutely equal status, equal importance. Um, They share in the responsibility of of prayer and shepherding the congregation, often teaching as well. Uh, However, they're not required to go to seminary. Uh, Their ordination is a little different, and they usually have a vocational job, which is awesome. Uh, Someplace outside the church, but that means they don't have as much time during the week to to prepare for teaching and preaching. And so, like, when you've seen Travis preach up here, he's also doing a full-time other job. Uh, in, in his preparation, which is why we don't have him do it as often as, uh, as, as I'd like. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so he, he serves as a ruling elder for us. John John probably confuses you a lot. Uh, John is a teaching elder, but he is a teaching elder in the presbytery. He's not a, a teaching elder of the local church. Uh, he serves as a campus pastor, pastor uh, for K-State through the organization uh, RUF, Reformed University Fellowship. And so Uh, What that means is when you see John leading in worship or serving the Lord's Supper like he's going to be doing today, uh, that's not John just doing his job, it's John using his gifts and his position uh, as a teaching elder to serve his church, in the same way many of you volunteer in ways. Uh, So, in our text, then, they select these these seven men. Uh, The first two, Stephen and Philip, we're going to see more of. Things do not go well for Stephen. That's debatable. I guess they do go well for Stephen. Uh, The other five we're never going to hear about again, ever again. This is the only time they show up in Scripture. And I I suppose that's because they're serving faithfully uh, in this task. In fact, the fact that we don't hear about them is probably a good thing um, because they're doing their job and they're doing it well. And and here's the thing. A lot of the ways we're going to serve in our lives, you're never going to be mentioned again. There is no legacy. There is no mention, but it's faithful serving. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, All seven of these names are Greek names, Uh, most likely from the Hellenist group then, the group that felt like they were being mistreated fairly or unfairly. And and by putting them in this position, uh, they're helping with the language barrier. Uh, They're helping to show that this group is fully part of this community and showing we trust you. We trust you to do this right. Um, One of the guys, though, is not even ethnically Jewish at all. Uh, Nicholas, you can see he's called a a proselyte from Antioch. That's someone who was converting to Judaism and uh, assumingly so into Christianity at this point. Uh, the apostles then empower these seven men. They give them a t- uh, for the task at hand. When they lay their hands on them and they pray for them, they're saying, yes, we agree with this choice. These men will serve this well. So a, a couple of things to see here. First, <clears throat> how we care for those in need is of great importance for the church. Uh, in 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 Russia, during Stalin's Communist Party era, uh, they actually put a, a ban, and-, and this is a quote on, on their ban. They banned all charitable and cultural activities by churches. And the reason that they state for why they did that is is this. Again, a quote. The state cannot tolerate any challenge to its claim on the heartstrings of the Russian people. You understand what that means? They feared that the church would gain loyalty of the people if they permitted them to meet the mercy needs of the people. Okay? There's a lot for us to learn in that. Um, And the way that we meet the mercy needs, the way we show love to the community, uh, the way people see that love actually put into action. Uh, The second thing we see in this text is that it's easy to feel buried under administrative responsibilities. Uh, I'm a full-time employee of the church. I love my job. I really do. Uh, However, there comes with that this, this weight sometimes that I feel that I shouldn't burden anyone else with any of the other responsibilities in the church. You're the employee. You do them. Uh, and I know, I know it's good for us as a church body to share the responsibilities in this covenant community. Uh, plus, I simply cannot do it. Uh, Travis, other elders we ordain in the future, they can't be expected to do everything. And, and now this, this text speaks about mercy ministry specifically to, to widows. Here at Manhattan Press today, do you know how many widows we have? Zero. Not a single one, although even saying that, I'm afraid I'm forgetting someone. Uh, <clears throat> but we don't. We, we don't, but we have a number of administrative tasks that fall into the same category. We have uh, many needs that need to, or many things that need to be done each week for this service to happen and other things to happen. And, and many of you have stepped up to, to lighten that load. Uh, some of you are currently leading an area. Some of you in the past have led an area. Uh, some of you in the future will be leading an area. Uh, Many of you serve in these areas, not as the leader of the area, and and that is an absolute necessity for for things to happen. Now, uh, some of you have a very heavy load to carry on outside the church, and I understand that. And so I put this caveat in here. I need you to understand that uh, you should not feel guilty if that's the stage of life you're in. Uh, When we talk about serving the church and the need of that, we understand also that there are a lot of things outside of here that you need to be doing. So this is not a guilt trip. Uh, I do want to share, though, that in the past two years, many of you have accepted leadership roles that have lightened my load in amazing ways. Um, I can honestly say that I spend more time in the Word, more time in prayer than I did when we first began because of the way people have stepped up and taken leadership in areas. Now, I I mentioned it before. Uh, Again, I am afraid right now because I'm going to mention some names and I'm going to forget somebody. And yet, I am... Don't want anyone to feel neglected. I'm going to take that risk, though, because I want you to understand the, the wider workings of how things are going, uh, and so you can understand how you might be a part of it if, if that's where you are in life, or you can at least understand that there are many people to be thankful that you may not even see doing things during the day. Uh, early on, Nicola Lippert uh, stepped up to take music ministry uh, and really take the lead on that, which was the biggest load off of me because I don't, I don't speak music at all. Uh, I've claimed to be tone-deaf, I've been told I can't be tone-deaf, um, but I, I don't know anything about music except for I sing it poorly. That's, that's what I do. Uh, she does, though, and she organizes the schedules and keeps everything in order. Uh, I tell her what songs we're singing, and, and then she takes it from there and, and has done a wonderful job. And I will tell you, the early, early time before that was set up, I used to spend so much time in the week just trying to, is this music, can we sing this? Is this really like sheet music? Uh, <clears throat> and I didn't know any of the answer to these questions, so that's been huge. Um, Also, every one of you that serve in the music ministry, when we as a congregation meet to worship, uh, your service in assisting our voices, uh, assisting our hearts as we express this in in, in worship to God, uh, thank you. I know that takes a lot of time for you to show up early and do a number of things to be prepared for that. Thank you. Uh, Let me mention just a few other areas where people are serving uh, God, serving this congregation. Uh, Travis shares in the local shepherding responsibilities, uh, both he and Amy leading the North Paris group, you know, uh, the, the Durret's leading in the South Paris group. The fact that they let us all come in their house and destroy it and then just leave, uh, that's awesome. And then they do it again. They're like, sure, you can come back. I know you're going to destroy everything. Welcome back. Um, Christine, she's organized an insane amount of shared meals over the year. Uh, at some point, we had a number on how many people had been served an actual meal, and it was insane. You wouldn't believe it. Uh, John Dunning, as I've already mentioned, uh, his wife, Trisha, handles the offering. Uh, she keeps records for taxes and, and, and makes the deposits, which I love because it means I don't ever see what any of you give because I don't trust my own heart to know that information, uh, and, it's, and it's wonderful. Uh, recently, she sent me a, a, a note. She started sending me a note when someone first gives, and I love that because I can send a message and just thank you for, uh, for contributing to the needs of the congregation that way. Uh, Leslie Cassing, she organizes the setup uh, of the Lord's Supper and our greeters and the cleanup after service. Uh, so many of you that that help out, even after the service ends, the way people just come up here and clean this up, uh, which is wonderful. It means I can talk to people at the door and not be worried about getting things out of the way for First Christian Church. Uh, also, I love that we don't have to chase people down to serve. You just offer your time. You offer your abilities. Uh, Morgan Castile, she's in the nursery right now. Uh, she's a senior at K-State. She has no children, but she runs our nursery ministry. Uh, she organizes it. Uh, Fun fact, her mom is the nursery director at her church back in Olathe, uh, which means two generations of nursery directors in two towns in Kansas. Um, Alexia Machina, she's homesick today, but she's organized our our children's Sunday school. Uh, Tim and Morgan and and, and Sarah Arnett are are leading the classes there. Uh, Every week, Danielle Fisher sends in my inbox uh, coloring pictures for our kids in the children's bulletin, uh, which sounds dumb, but it means I'm not searching through pictures trying to find something every week. Uh, a number of guys that run sound. Kennedy gets ushers. I have no idea who's going to be the ushers any week. I just watch it happen. Uh, Laura functions like a secur- secretary in a thousand ways. And, and really, that's just people serving at the administrative level. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> really, uh, none of them can complete the role that they have unless everyone else steps up and serves in little ways in those areas. It would make no sense if Morgan's in the nursery every week, even though she's there this week, uh, because she would absolutely burn out if she were doing it alone. Uh, That's part of the community serving for the sake of the community. Uh, Remember, we are a community. We're doing this together. So, uh, verse 7 then. This is where I think, did I leave anyone out? (laughs) If you were let out, I apologize. Left out. Uh, Verse 7 though, we see the results. It says, and the word of God continued to increase. See, it wasn't stopped or slowed by them having to do every aspect of the ministry. You see the result of that. It says the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Disciples multiplied. This is because the ministry of the word continued. And Finally, it says a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Obedient here means they believed the gospel. You know what that means? Why that's so significant? It tells us that the gospel was being preached to people who hated Christians. People who who had reason to hate them, people who were a threat to their livelihood, their way of life. And yet, even, in, even being preached to people in that situation, God was bringing some of these priests, many of these priests, it says, to real faith. We know the phrase today, haters going to hate, Right? Well, haters are going to hate. That's, that's until God gives them faith to know Jesus as their Savior, and then that's going to change. And in some parts of the world today, we, we even see this. We've seen Muslims coming to faith uh, in Jesus, and you can imagine how much fear that is causing their leaders to see that happening. The same was, was true here. As the priests were coming to faith, there was fear of the leaders, but, but really what we're seeing is forgiveness and salvation for these new believers who were coming out of the priesthood. Uh, it can't be overlooked then that, that one of the reasons that this early church is, is growing was that the people uh, observing them from the outside uh, saw the way that these Christians genuinely loved each other, cared for each other, the way they loved uh, even those who had very little or nothing to contribute to the community. Uh, that was a big deal because it paints this beautiful picture. It paints this picture to the culture around them to see that, uh, that their love wasn't in word only, it was real. 1 John 3.18 tells us, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. That word deed in 1 John 3.18 is, is the Greek word for work. What that means is it's, it's action. It's more than just a feeling, uh, as love has come to be known as. It, it moves us to actual action. Now, if we're going to summarize these seven verses, I, I'd say they call us to uh, evaluate uh, how highly we value the ministry of the word in its various forms, uh, how highly we value prayer, both publicly and privately. Uh, it also tells us uh, you know, how highly we value the importance of, of caring for each other, uh, the needs of, of others. Uh, and the last thing today is, is this. Let me just say this. The goal of this church is not to be bigger. Um, seeing people come to faith, believe the gospel, certainly will result in growth. Um, and so there's that weird side effect that, yeah, you want to see growth. Uh, but the goal is, is not just to be bigger. And the goal is not to provide you with the church of your dreams. Uh, the goal is not to provide me with the church of my dreams. Uh, the goal is not to have a program for every felt need you might have. The, the goal of Manhattan Press is the same as the goal we see here in this text. Right from the start. To see the word proclaimed. Uh, to see the lost get saved. To see God be glorified in the lives of his people. See, and here on, on Sundays, as we meet together, we want the word to be proclaimed, but also out, out there when we go out, we want to see the gospel spread and to see sinners come to faith. And that means that, uh, that elders must be in the word and, and ministering the word and praying for you and praying for the ministry. And that means we're going to need new leaders at times, particularly in the transient culture we live in. Um, and we don't always know who that is. And I, I say that because you might need to tell us, hey, I, I can help with that. I can, I can do that. It also means we've got to be gracious with each other. We're gonna make mistakes in the process and figuring things out. Uh, the Hellenists here were offended. You can imagine how mad they are, how they, you know, they went home and, and you know, told their spouse, I need to call my mom. Um, but then they had to come back and, and make it work. They had to come back and let go of the bitterness that they would have felt and, and uh, really just to, to find that unity back with the community again. Uh, so let me end with this. Let me just say this. Thank you. No matter what your, your role in this community, even just coming and worshiping, to hear voices together, worshiping the Lord is a beautiful thing. And so thank you. Uh, thank you as, we, as you join in this, this mission of God to fulfill the great commission that he has given us, uh, seeking to be faithful in this, this one little nook of the world. Um, you know, we, we call it Manhattan K-State, Fort Riley, it's kind of this little region. Uh, It's not that the whole world's going to change from that, uh, but we really want to be faithful in this one little nook. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for the servant hearts you provided this covenant community with. Uh, I thank you uh, for these musicians that are walking up here, Katie and and Kennedy and uh, Josiah and whoever else I just forgot. I, I thank you for them and the way that they serve us. Uh, I thank you for how quick the people uh, that you provided us with are to, to meet the needs of this church. Uh, we ask for wisdom as, as we oversee the administrative aspects of a local congregation. Uh, make us to do it well so that more focus can be given in prayer and time in the word. Uh, and that in the community, uh, speaking the word out there. Uh, we ask that as people look on this community, they would see that we, we love each other and that we are willing to, uh, to love others even, even if they can't contribute.